that, that's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. Swing into Seaside Golf in Ocean City, Maryland. Play like a pro at 17 championship courses designed by golf legends like Jack Nicholas and Arthur Hills. Tee off on sweeping vistas at Eagles Landing. Savor the coastal views of Lighthouse Sound. Or see why Ocean City Golf Club is considered one of the Mid-Atlantic's finest fairways. Whether you're sneaking in a quick round on a family vacation or going all in on a golf getaway, fun is always in play at Ocean City, Maryland. Plan your trip at OCOcean.com. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that has decided to devote the rest of his time to living out every single Sublime song. Here is the captain. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening, and thanks for telling a friend. Today, ladies and gents, we are still sipping on what some consider to be the original craft beer, Yingling Traditional Lager, a beer that at one time we could not purchase here in Ohio. So if you were traveling by means of car, truck, or ban the van, one would stock up and bring some back home. ABV 4.5%, garage grade three out of five bottle caps. And let's give some thanks and praise to our friends that helped us out with this week's beer run. First up, shout out to Hillary and Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And last but certainly not least, we have a double-fisted cheers that goes out to Charlotte and Lottie listening over the pond, they say, in England. Everyone we mentioned, they helped us out with this week's beer fund. And for that, we thank you. Yeah, big shout out to Aston Villa fans all around the world. I want to thank you for the BWEWRUN beer run. If you need more True Crime Garage for your earballs, check us out on Patreon or through the Apple Podcast app. Also, if you're listening to Off the Record and you want to hear us discuss a certain thing or you have a question for us, email me, the captain, captain at truecrimegarage.com and just put in the, the subject off the record subject or off the rep record topic or off the record question and we'll make sure we put that on the show and that's enough of the business otr if you're nasty all right everybody yeah. gather around grab a chair grab a beer let's talk some true crime
Here we have these two unsolved murders taking place not only close together on the calendar, but the added terrifying aspect to these two crimes is the close proximity from one another. It's like 0.2 miles from one murder scene to the other victim's front doorstep. And the second victim is delivering newspapers and found about 0.2 miles from her home on her newspaper route. So about a five minute walk from where she took off that morning. And again, these murders, while the police are working under two different ideas here with their investigation, are they connected? They're working under the idea that yes, they are, but also no, they are not. So running this investigation, all hands on deck operation here for the murder of Joan Burghardt, who took place August 9th or 8th, 1992. She's found on the 9th. And then Charlotte Schmoyer, who was found June 9th of 1993. Her body was found in a wooded area near the east side Allentown Reservoir. The way that the two individuals were attacked, different. We have stab wounds in one case and then a bludgeon type murder in the other case. One taking place, everything taking place outside, outdoors, we assume. And then the other attack, everything took place inside the victim's apartment. This neighborhood is not going to get really any relief at all. Because what we're going to have happen here is June 20th. So this is 11 days after the murder that we discussed at length. We have another situation where someone breaks into a home. This home is located on North Maxwell Street. This is all in the same neighborhood. Every one of these locations that we've just mentioned, all within walking distance from one another. You could walk there in minutes time. Someone entered through a window. Now, this is going to be similar to the Joan Burghardt case. Whoever broke into her apartment and killed her, they entered through one of the windows. They they pulled out or pushed out the screen to one of the windows and climbed into the first floor apartment. At this home on North Maxwell Street, someone broke into the home in the middle of the night. So th- the way that this is described, Captain, is that it's believed that there was this was probably in the early morning hours. There is two adults in the home, but very sadly, there is a five-year-old girl in the home. The five-year-old is snatched from her bed, carried by her neck, thrown into a like laundry basket type of thing, carried to another location where she is assaulted and choked and strangled. It's believed that the attacker had every reason to think that he had successfully killed the victim before fleeing the home. Now, we don't have a lot of details on this case because you can imagine the sensitivity of the case, given the the young age of the victim. Right. We're very lucky that the victim survived. Because the victim survived, they didn't want to release a lot of details in this case. So that makes a lot of sense. Now, one thing we do know that there was a burglary 
robbery type aspect to this assault because the the adult female who was in the house her purse was found on the lawn of the property and some of the items from her purse had been taken and, and they didn't recover those items so it it was hard to determine for police and investigators several different things one was this a situation where somebody broke in with the intent of, intent of stealing money and then for some sick reason decided to assault a child? Or was assault all part of the break-in to begin with? Right. And then you have to go a step further and go, okay, well, is this connected to the two previous crimes? This, this is a very different victimology. Joan Burghardt lived alone. This is a home of at least three pe- persons in the home that we know of. And Charlotte Schmoyer was out alone on her newspaper route. June 29th, nine days after the five-year-old girl is attacked, a home on East Highland Street. Again, this is the same neighborhood. Somebody broke into that home. Now, the way that this story goes is pretty unique because inside this home, we have a woman, she's in her late thirties. She's there alone that night. Her husband, she's married and lives with her husband, but her husband travels on occasion for work. He happens to not be home that night. So she's at home sleeping alone in the middle of the night when she says that she, she woke up for unknown reasons. She don't know what startled her from her sleep. She wake, wakes up and she gets like this really uneasy feeling. You know how you just, sometimes you just get this, this gut feeling, right? That something is not right. Yeah. Something you feel it in your gut. And then your she says she woke up with this feeling that not only is something not right, but she doesn't hear anything. Doesn't see, see anything. She just says, I had this mysterious anxiety. Quote, I had a very eerie feeling. I felt like somebody was in my house. So she decides, this is how freaked out she is. She doesn't have a lot of clothing on. She's sleeping. She's in her own home. It's the middle of the night. Right. She's not even worried about getting dressed. She thought, I'll just wrap myself up in the, in the blanket and I'm, I'm running outside and I'm going to the neighbor's house. Well, before she could get out that door, somebody grabbed her from behind and she was attacked. She was sexually assaulted. She was beaten very badly. So one can almost say that uh, attempted murder. 100% attempted murder. And let's just go back to this idea that her husband happened not to be home. You have all these crimes happening in this neighborhood Somebody is stalking and monitoring some everybody's actions within this neighborhood. This attacker left her for dead, and a lot, a large portion of the attack, she's she's doing her best to fight back and to fight him off and to try to escape. The best she can do is she. This attack it, it starts inside when he grabs her while she's trying to flee, but it ends up on the on the lawn. And so a large portion of the attack occurred outside in the pitch black in the middle of the night. She's left for dead. 
there's again, similar situation as we just talked about from the June 20th attack police there on the scene, paramedics on the scene and everybody's sitting there going, there's a very good chance that, that whoever did this only left, only stopped the attack because they thought they were successful in killing the victim. Here again, we get lucky. No, that's not the case. Our victim here survives. But think about what we've been talking about here. Forget about the 1992 murder for a second. Once 93 hits, the summer of 93, Charlotte Schmoyer is killed June 9th. The attack on North Maxwell Street is June 20th. This is June 29th. So 11 days between attack number two and three, and then just nine days between three and attack number four. And I know there's some differences in all these attacks, but there's also some similarities. And if you're law enforcement, you have to start thinking that maybe all of these are connected. But it's not going to stop there. We're going to end up with July 14th. We have a woman, her husband, and their four kids. They are staying with the woman's mother. This is at 407 North Bryan Street. Again, same neighborhood. The mom and grandmother is 47-year-old Jessica Fortney. Now, in the early morning hours of July 14th, 1993, Jessica's daughter and son-in-law, who had been sleeping on the third floor with their four children, They wake up early that morning. They find 47-year-old Jessica Fortney dead on the living room couch. So they go down to the first floor, and they find her strangled and bludgeoned to death on the sofa. Here, you you talked about similarities. We already mentioned the bludgeoning. The... It was clear that the attacker entered this property through a window as well. Climbs in through a window. It's almost exactly like the 1992 murder. Yeah, and is somehow able to attack this woman, and but also at the same time keep the commotion level down enough to not alert her daughter and son-in-law and their kids that are sleeping on the third floor. It's very likely that if these attacks are happening at similar hours of the night or early morning hours, that some of these persons that are being attacked, like the woman that says, I just woke up in the middle of the night and had this feeling somebody was in in my house. These persons may be attacked while they're still sleeping, that they, they never, they didn't wake up before the attack started. So now police are dealing with their third homicide investigation in less than one year's time, all in the same neighborhood. And while you don't have anything forensically telling you that these are all connected, I I don't know how, and it doesn't appear that that, the detectives were confused. It appears to me that they weren't willing to openly state that. There's no reason for you to state that these are 100% connected until you connect them. Well, and once you make that statement to the public, you're pulling the fire alarm. And you're going to have a, it's a double-edged sword. You want the community to take this seriously. You want the community to be locking their doors, not staying alone, uh, making sure their windows are locked. But you don't want them 
to be in an all-out panic, even though you know, chances are these are all connected. The other thing, too, that, and this is not not so risky, but you'll see that this should be a consideration. If you are quick to go to the public and say, all of these attacks or all three of these murders are connected, we're looking for a serial killer. The problem later becomes if science tells you, no, they're not all connected and you make an arrest and you make it, let's say you make an arrest in all of the cases and you end up with two perpetrators or three perpetrators. What you're going to have is if one of those perpetrators has a a smart, able defense attorney, they are going to present at court right out the gate. Uh, Keep in mind, my guy the guy that's standing trial today wasn't always the guy that the police were looking for. The police were on record saying that all these crimes are connected. So those other person or persons that they arrested in those crimes, those guys were at one time considered that guy was one time considered a suspect. So you, what you're doing is you're already creating doubt. You're creating some form of doubt, which, which we've talked about this a hundred times here in the garage What the best detectives do is you work the case, you collect the evidence, you follow the evidence, all the while being concerned about a conviction, getting the conviction in trial. How can I best drive this investigation to, number one, find the guy, get my guy, but two, make sure that I don't do anything or say anything that could later muck this up in the court. We're going to go four days later after the murder on July 14th. This is going to lead us to July 18th when we have, remember the break-in at East Highland Street that took place June 29th? Well, there's another break-in at that same house, July 18th. This time, the woman... Her, her husband is home this night. And in fact, after the first attack, they, di- they didn't move, but they did go to great lengths to upgrade the security of their home. They changed the locks. They installed a security system. The woman would say, sh- who survived the previous attack, says that she wakes up again. She wakes up in the middle of the night. Again, her husband's home this time. Right. She wakes up looks over at her husband. Her husband is lying in bed, eyes wide open, staring at their bedroom door with the gun that they purchased to keep them safe in his hands on his chest. He goes, he, he looks right at her and he says, be quiet. There's someone in the house. So he's already aware. He's already heard something that has alerted him that there is someone in the house. Yeah, he had that feeling in his gut and in his butt. This would lead to uh, um, something to tip off the intruder. And the, the intruder flees. Thankfully, no one is attacked that night. Oh, come on. It would have been great if the guy would have opened up the door. Got a face full of lead. Well, this is going to be a pivotal point in the investigation and for for this case. Because what we're going to see here is that police come up with this idea. They go, oh, okay, well, we, we are 
kind of quietly behind the scenes working this as a lot of these, if not all of these situations are 100% connected. But here we have a situation where the guy may have returned to the home. Now you're starting to think back to the Joan Burghardt murder, aren't you? Where you go, wait a second, she reported a burglary at her apartment five days prior to the break-in that led to her murder. Right. Is that... That can't be a coincidence now. That doesn't seem like a likely coincidence now, now that we have a situation where this woman's nearly killed on her lawn, and then we have less than a month's time, 20 days later, the home is broken into again. And this again, this is a safe neighborhood. This is not a a neighborhood that was dealing with with a large amount of break-ins prior to what starts happening in June of 1993. It's almost like the attacker realized all oh, that, you know, when I broke into that house and I attacked that lady, she didn't die. I got to go back. Could have came back to try to silence a witness to permanently silence a witness or, you know, finish the job yeah. police with the permission of, and I, I bet you they didn't have to ask too hard. They decide, you know what, we're going to put an officer in this home, the home that was broken into twice, and we want to put an officer in the home of the five-year-old girl who survived the attack on North Maxwell Street. Good thinking. Of course, both families agree. So now you're doing this not just to keep these people protected, but also you're doing it hoping to lead to a potential arrest should this person enter one of these homes again. So I think this is a good plan by law enforcement. It's a good plan by the community. The trap is set to catch this piece of shit. So we have a officer, Allentown police officer, Lewis, who was assigned to stay in the house of the prior adult victim on East Highland street. So you have the husband and wife that are in their bedroom. You have the officer who was positioned himself in the dark living room, right? You have the the lights turned off in the living room, but they, they purposely left like some windows cracked some, you know, maybe a window or two open and a light or two on in the house. You want to kind of showcase to your potential perp that 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 he, here it is for the taking come and get it now around this is july 31st okay so the the initial attack the first time that this home was attacked and the woman inside was attacked would have taken place june 29th the second attempt at whatever took place july 18th we're now at july 31st so just about a month later, at 1.30 in the morning, the police officer stationed inside of this home, Officer Lewis, spotted a gloved hand coming in one of the windows. Then he sees the screen being knocked out. And the officer plays it cool. He's going he's gonna to wait till he can see a body, Right. He's not going to risk because you get one shot at this after he sees the gloved hand and then the knocking out of the screen, the officers in the living room, 
he's he's watching and watching and watching, waiting for the intruder to enter the home. Yes. And he does. He sees somebody crawl into that window. And that's when the officer made his presence known. He he stands up, gun drawn. He's yelling, police freeze, police freeze. Instead of surrendering, this intruder reaches for a gun. And at the same time, starts to dive to the floor. We're going to have a, a bit of a, a, a shootout here. Not a lot of bullets fired. I, I've, I've heard this described a couple of, and read this described a couple of different ways. It sounds like both the officer and the intruder shot at each other a couple of times. This led to somehow the intruder managed to smash out a window. This was a window of the back door and then escapes using that method. Now, here's another thing that the police got right. They are now searching the area. They're out in the middle of the night looking for whoever broke into this home. But they're also convinced that there's a high probability that during either the course of the shootout or him breaking out the window and fleeing, that maybe their intruder was injured in the process. So they notify all the area hospitals to be on high alert for a man seeking treatment for cuts. They believe that he cut himself. They're not saying that they found blood at the scene. I'm guessing they must have found some blood at that scene or, or fleeing from that scene. Right. And this is where they get their break because just a couple of hours later, they get the call that they were looking for. They ended up arresting a man outside of the Lee high Valley hospital. This man had gone in for treatment. <laughs> Can you say Dumbass. So here's going to be the icing on the cake. So the, the individual that they arrest, mm-hmm. his name is Harvey Robinson. And he's, he's very, he's surprisingly young. He's 19, 20 years old at the time. They arrest him. This is going to allow them to search his home. They go to his home and in his bedroom, they find a gun that is hidden in one of his boots inside of his bedroom closet. The interesting thing here is this gun is, is going to secure him as suspect number one. Right. Right. Cause he, he could claim he got cut elsewhere. He could come up with some kind of story, but what he cannot explain away is the gun that he used to fire back at the officer that he had with him that night was a gun that he stole from one of these homes that we've discussed. So he's in these homes, captain, he's assaulting the women attempting to kill them and he's stealing items. And one of the items stolen in the process was this gun. Eventually it's going to take some time, but eventually they're going to get DNA back and secure evidence from Harvey Robinson that tells them that he is absolutely the person who killed the first two victims we discussed. He killed Joan Burkhardt, 29 years old, nurse's aide in her one-room apartment, or two-room apartment on August 9th, 1992. 
He killed the newspaper carrier, Charlotte Schmoyer, June 9th, 1993. And they had every reason to believe that he was responsible for the assault and attempted murder on the five-year-old, the murder of Jessica Jean Fortney, July 14th, 1993, and that he was the individual that attacked this woman that lived in the small brick house on East Highland Street on June 29th, 1993, attempted to break into the house on July 18th of 1993, and then was the intruder that the officer shot at on July 31st, 1993. Say it with me. Got Got it. Of course, they find a vehicle belonging to Robinson that matches the description given, provided to police in the murder of the newspaper carrier. So a lot of evidence to connect this guy. There's a lot of things that I found very interesting about this investigation, Captain. Something that we don't see in some of the investigations that we've discussed. While you you cannot... No one would go out of their way to call this a successful investigation. There's so, there's so much tragedy that took place here. We got three people that were killed and two that were nearly killed. But what you see right away is the police did everything right. The, the, the town, Allentown, did everything right. The mayor's saying, look, use anything. By all means, cost is not an issue. Figure out how to catch this guy. Figure out how to protect this town, this city, this neighborhood. They collect DNA at at multiple crime scenes. They bring in the FBI to help them assist with with the science of that DNA and making comparisons in the testing. They put undercover officers spread out through the neighborhood, especially right after the the Charlotte case took place. And then later they're putting officers inside the homes of these two individuals to protect them and hopefully to catch this guy. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them 
really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add ons to choose from every week, You'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we are back. Got him. Cheers to everybody. Got him. You know, we don't like to go through the court stuff too much here. And and there was a lot of a lot of di- different things as far as the legal process goes in this case. Sometimes it's really fascinating. Other times it's a bore. Well, it, and what you're going to have here, Captain, is that in 1994, Harvey Robinson was sentenced to death for 
these crimes. Anytime somebody is sentenced to death, there's going to be a lot of appeals that go back and forth with that. Some of the 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 problems that we will have with the courts here in this case is he's 18, 19 years old, very young when he's committing this very violent killing spree, killing three people, severely injuring two people. And because of his young age, you're going to naturally, you're going to have people on the juries and you're going to have people in the courts, officers of the court that are going to be concerned about his young age. And should we sentence somebody to death? Uh, should that be the criminal penalty here for these cases? He, he is still incarcerated to this day. The convictions were for first degree murder, three counts, attempted murder, burglary. He's 49 years of age. Now he's, he was a local boy, Allentown, Pennsylvania. And what's crazy, Captain, and I mean, you don't have to be a Sherlock Holmes to make this connection. I'm guessing you had the same suspicion I did. He He's not just born and raised in Allentown, Pennsylvania. He's local to this neighborhood. He lives right. very nearby this neighborhood. And what there's some things, though, that are surprising to me. The police did a really good job about getting this vehicle description out to the public, so much so that they even provided pictures. Of course, they don't have pictures of the actual vehicle, but they provided pictures right. to the public that says this is Based off of the description and all of our efforts and all of our talks with the eyewitness, this is a vehicle that is extremely similar to the one that we are looking for. And put this in the papers and put it on the local news. Harvey Robinson, Harvey Miguel Robinson, young man living with his mother in the area. The fact that she didn't come forward saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I recognize that car or, oh, here's somebody you should probably talk to. Yeah. Maybe you want to talk to my shit princess of a son. Either she doesn't watch the news or was living under a rock. I, I, maybe she just didn't know. Maybe she was just oblivious to the situation or not oblivious to the situation. Never saw the description or the picture of the car. Yeah. Or maybe she heard people talking about this and she just couldn't fathom that her son would be responsible for this. One thing too here, we talked about in the first episode that when you have these types of crimes and we're talking about the sexual assault aspect of these crimes, is that the driving factor? Could be. The murder seems to be a big part of it too. This individual, for whatever reason, seemed to have a need to kill or have something in him that made him incredibly evil in a drive to destroy and a drive to kill the robbery, the burglary, the sexual assaults are all a part of that, of course. But I, I really think like you're looking at someone that just, that wanted to kill. We talked about how fast, how the, the how the speed, the repetition of this would pick up and increase. And that when we've seen other types of these crimes, that they always escalate. One thing that probably saved some lives or prevented these attacks and murders from taking place earlier is that after the murder of Joan Burghardt and before the murder of Charlotte Schmoyer, Harvey Robinson was arrested for burglary 
because of those charges, he served eight months in prison. That is that to me tells us why we had a 10 month gap between murder one and murder two. But it also, like we've seen in other cases where you go, well, we can't just look at individuals that have sexual assaults on their records or attempted rapes. If you would have had your search go out a little further and say, well, let's look into somebody that has any criminal activity as far as burglaries go. This guy would have been on their radar from from Jump Street. Yeah, you're you're knocking on the door of something that I was just about to talk about. One thing that we've brought up a few times on on the show over the years. If you go back, one of my favorite interviews that we've done was with retired FBI agent Jeffrey Reinick. He wrote a book that we've recommended several times. It's called In the Name of the Children, an FBI Agent's Relentless Pursuit of America's Worst Predators. In that interview, he told us that when you are looking for a rapist or someone that breaks into homes and kills people, he said that he found that he should always be looking at persons who had been arrested for burglary charges as well, because he found that a lot of times it it goes to intent, right? He's saying they got arrested on a burglary charge because the person woke up in the middle of the night and saw the man standing there in their room or heard something in the house called the police and the police catch the guy fleeing from the house. They're arrested on burglary because what their intent was to break into the home and rape and murder one or the other or both. They didn't get to do because they were detected before they could get to that. So the only charge they can bring them up on is burglary. And in fact, these crimes are rare enough that one would easily go, okay, well, this was just a burglary. Great. We caught the guy. He's probably burgled some other homes. But what's interesting to me here is we don't know the details of the burglary that Harvey Robinson was arrested for, but that is that exact same scenario that Jeffrey Reinick explained to us. But what happens here, Captain? What do we see between murder one and murder two? The burglary arrest and the burglary charge. The the first victim, unfortunately, was killed inside her apartment. He broke into the home and killed her there. The second victim, he saw her out on her paper route and he attacked and uh, abducted her there. He adapted. He learned from that arrest. And then you go, well, wait a second. But the, the next victim was attacked inside their home. And then the victim after that attacked inside their home and killed inside their home. Yeah, he adapted again because of how quickly the second victim was found and how there was a witness. There was a witness that saw him driving away, gave a great description of his vehicle to police. They put flyers up everywhere. They're looking for this vehicle. They're looking for this person. Yeah, but also that victim could be happenstance. It could be, I'm looking for a house to break into, or I was on the prowl and monitoring different houses and now i'm going home for the night oh here's this girl out 
doing her paper route. Yeah. I'm going to attack her. This guy, when you think of serial killers, he has an impulse that I don't think that was not going to be controlled. He was not going to stop. He could not even stop his impulse to go back to the scene of other crimes to then try to commit another crime at a place he already victimized somebody. Yep. Time and time again. I mean, you want to talk about impulsive. This guy's repulsive and impulsive. We talked about when we, when we went through the starved rock murders case, there was a scenario in that case where a group of searchers, when they found the bodies of the three victims, the searchers, some of the searchers that were used were youngsters, these, these young guys from a troubled youth camp nearby. And one of those youths went on to murder someone just months after having found the starved rock victim. So we brought up the idea of, well, is it the chicken or the egg? And oddly enough here, Captain, we have, we have grounds for that same discussion here. Because Harvey Robinson's father, who he did not have a, a, a great lengthy relationship with, his father had murdered someone, had, had, had beat a woman to death. This was back in, I believe it was 1962, at the end of 1962, murdered a woman named Marlene Perez. And it sounds like that his father was married. He was a musician, father of three. They find this poor Miss Perez killed in her apartment. Now, he kind of gets caught red-handed because one of the neighbors hears what's going on and calls the police. And when the police show up, it's, it's Mr. Robinson and the neighbor and Marlene Perez, who has now sadly been fatally beaten. So he gets caught red handed. And this is not something that our perp Harvey Miguel Robinson would not have been aware of. And, and so you just, you, you analyze these things and you look at it and you go, well, does this have anything to do? Yes, it has to have something to do with how this guy turned out. Now, is it the, is it the sole reason that he would go on to be a serial killer? No, I can't believe that. But yeah, you're right. He has something in him, some something in him that drives him to do these horrible things. And part of that has to be something that was handed down to him from his father, either genetically or or through the, uh, the his upbringing. But yeah, Captain, you have everything that was done right. Unfortunately, it wasn't able to prevent Harvey Robinson from being very dangerous, from killing a lot of people, from killing th three people and almost two others. And who knows how many lives he destroyed along the way. These, this, this tragedy, it carries far and wide with this number of victims. Well, and let's just take a minute to applaud law enforcement. Yes. There's a bunch of crimes happening in a very small location, 
but they were all hands on deck. And on top of that, we, we had officers that put their lives on the line mm-hmm. to put themselves in between this animal, this piece of shit, and the community. And to, could you imagine what that would be like? What are you doing today at work? Well, I'm going to go sit in a house and wait for this vicious murderer to show up. And then it's go time. Then it's less roll. It's either going to be him or me. And because of this fight that the officer put up, there became damage to Harvey. And Harvey had to then go seek help. And when he went to seek help, boom, we got him. But you have to, you have to applaud law enforcement for putting themselves into danger like that. And how intelligent their investigation was and the efforts that they were making. As said, you can see it was all hands on deck and they were willing to do whatever it took to, to apprehend this individual. Because as you can clearly see on the flip of that is this guy was not going to stop and he was going to continue to do this and he was going to work to get better at it, more stealth like. That's the other thing too. It's it the the killer gets lucky. Police didn't get lucky here. They they never saw him running around in the dark of the night. All yeah. of the and they are they're patrolling heavy patrol in this area. But that's where I would disagree with you. I think because of his impulsiveness and because I think these urges to want to attack, to rape, to kill were becoming more and more frequent. And I think once it was almost like once he got put in jail, even though it wasn't for murder, it was just like, F it, here we go. I'm going to keep doing this until I get caught. Yeah. And so I don't know if he was trying to become more sophisticated because I don't think a sophisticated killer would go back and try to attack a victim they already tried to attack before. Right, but he's certainly not trying to get worse at it. True. And he did manage to go undetected even though the 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 police are patrolling and watching this area the the thing too about the 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 officers stationing themselves inside those homes from my understanding it was the way that they would do this would be a, a their shift would start around midnight and i think it would end at 5 or 6 in the morning and i'm guessing that they based those times off of things that they were seeing in the previous break-ins and what they knew from what time of night that those previous break-ins took place. But to be clear here, Captain, they didn't set this trap and on night one he was caught. No, they they set this trap the night after he broke into this home on East Highland Street the second time. The night after he broke into that home the second time. So for 13 nights in a row, there was an officer in both of these homes waiting and waiting and waiting for the night that he would finally come back. And he did finally come back and that would ultimately lead to his arrest. I do want to go back to that house on Bryant street where unfortunately 
we had the third murder. The house on Bryant Street where Jessica Fortney was murdered. After the arrest of Harvey Robinson, Jessica Fortney's son-in-law, Ricky, who was 35 at the time and still living in that home with his wife and kids. You're worried about this guy coming back? Of course, Ricky, 35, wife and kids in the home. Mother-in-law had been murdered there. He's worried about this guy coming back. He's terrified. His kids are terrified. When he learned that there was finally an arrest in this case, he said, quote, I jumped for joy at the news, adding, we feel safe now, he said. Now I sleep in peace. And to this day, Captain Harvey Miguel Robinson, he remains in custody. He's imprisoned at the SCI Phoenix location correction facility in Pennsylvania, where he has been since 1994 when he was convicted. I think that what we see here from this case is that there is a lot to learn, not only about the behavior of individuals as evil as Harvey Robinson, but also a lot to learn and to be gained by the way that the Allentown Police Department handled and conducted this investigation and their attempt to keep the people of this neighborhood safe. Oh, yes. want to thank you for joining us here in the garage. You could be anywhere and you chose to be here because you're amazing. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading for the beautiful listeners? This week, we are recommending A Need to Kill by Mark Pettit. It's the true crime story of John Jobert, a serial killer who, after the FBI was brought in, he was apprehended and later executed in Nebraska. He was convicted of murdering three boys. Mark Pettit is the only reporter to talk with Joe Bear, and Pettit spent hours talking with families of the victims and found that Joe Bear most likely felt his need to kill long before he came to Nebraska. Check out A Need to Kill by Mark Pettit. You can find that great recommendation and many more on our recommended page on our website, truecrimegarage.com. And while you're there, make sure you sign up on the mailing list. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter. That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. That, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com.